love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnebley and Toth. JG, I, I have to say, you look incredibly rested. Well, well, thank you. And I'm wondering if it was from taking last week off the Memorial Day uh, weekend. What did you do for Memorial Day? I didn't do much. I didn't do much. In fact, I actually cannot remember what I did. I just remember it was a very odd feeling to not record an episode. I know. I felt like I didn't have pants on. And then yeah. I realized that I actually didn't have pants on. Well, because it's Memorial Day. Right. Memorial Day. And there was alcohol involved. So yeah. those things happen. What are you going to do? You just you live, you learn, you move on. I was pleasantly surprised to see that so many people noted the fact that we were gone. Hmm. Um, and by and large, they uh, f- very few people seemed pissed off about it. It was <laughs> it was a very social kind of a you guys deserve it. Thanks. Hope you're well, hope you're having fun and look forward to a, a new episode next week. My yeah. favorite comment was because we replayed episode number six and uh, it was a it was a subscriber who said something like I can't wait till uh, JG and Lindsay are back because those two guys who filled in just sucked (laughs) (laughs) that's the spirit I love that yeah you definitely (laughs) understand the uh, the feel of the show yeah yeah, I was appreciative that People weren't pissed that we we took a week off. Uh, in fact, I detected almost a sense of relief on their part. <laughs> I think that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Praise uh, God. I don't have to listen to those two. Yeah. Boy, they yeah. suck. Our uh, our story this week, our shallow end story, takes place in a town called Wangaratta, Australia. <laughs> I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. You said Wang. <laughs> I did say Wang, didn't I? I love that about myself. (laughs) A guy named Dan Saunders was out uh, drinking in his hometown of Wangaratta, Australia, when he stumbled upon a bank glitch that briefly made him extremely rich. Oh. Now, as as Dan himself tells the story, it's a a night out. He's heading to the bar to meet some, uh, some buddies, or mates as he calls them, and he stops by an ATM, for his bank to uh, to withdraw some cash. 
So he thinks, well, I should at least first check my balance, uh, t- you know, to, to make sure I've got enough to, to withdraw cash to go to go have beers. But it gives him the ATM gives him a message. that says balance unavailable at this time. And he thinks, well, that's hmm. that's weird. So he decides to transfer two hundred dollars from his credit account to his savings. But the ATM screen says transaction cancels and canceled. And then it just spits his card out. Huh. And he thinks, what the heck is going on? So he puts the card back in and just tries to see if he can at least withdraw $200 from his savings account just to see what's, you know, what's going on. And oddly enough, the ATM spits out $200 and he thinks, huh, that's weird. But he's got 200 bucks in his pocket and he's heading to a bar and he thinks, you know what? Life's life's pretty damn good. (laughs) So he heads to the bar and he starts drinking and he's buying people drinks and he is the life of the party. But the whole time that he's having fun at the bar, this ATM thing is in the back of his mind. Mm. He thinks, this is so odd. Why did it do that? So now he's left the bar. Safe to say he's, he's a bit buzzed. He, uh, he is walking back to his house past the same ATM and he thinks, that thing was so weird. What the hell? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to try this again. So he puts the card in to the ATM again and he just starts playing around. So he transfers another $200 into his savings account and then withdraws that $200. Does it go back to the bar? Cuz this could end badly. <laughs> well, <laughs> he ultimately went back to the bar, but he thinks I wonder how how far I can take this. So he does the same thing, but this time tries $500 and it spits out $500 and then $600 and it spits out $600. Wow. Now, in hindsight, he thinks it was a combination of being a little bit tipsy and a little bit bored for him to push the envelope again and again. (laughs) But he said it was like a magic trick. (laughs) So he stuffs that cash in his wallet and he kind of stumbles and I'm picturing him kind of, you know, meandering, (laughs) kind of serpentine, Mm -hmm. eventually gets home, crawls into bed, passes out and then wakes up the next morning with understandably quite a quite a sore, uh, a sore head headache and thinks, boy, I had this weird dream last (laughs) night that I I managed to withdraw thirteen hundred dollars from the ATM. Uh, but then he looks over at his nightstand and there's his wallet that he had taken out of his pocket. All fat and bulgy. Bulging with $1,300 in spanking brand new bills. It was not a dream. So he thinks, all right, I got, I got to figure this out. I got to come clean with the bank. I got to, I don't want to, I don't want to get in trouble. He calls the bank and says, Hey, I need to get a balance on my savings account. And they say, yeah, you are minus two thousand dollars oof and he thinks okay so there's obviously some kind of lag between what the atm gave him and what his bank balance is which means that whatever he spends he can cover it by doing a simple transfer every night between his credit account and his savings in a sense he he has discovered how to create money by doing this this little transfer trick but it only worked between one and three in the morning and he realizes okay the atms must go offline okay so so this he has discovered is his own personal little ponzi scheme exactly 
Exactly. So all he, he says to himself, all I have to do is stay one day ahead. How tough could, could that be? So on the first day, he, he spends that $2,000. But on the second day, he transfers $4,000 to make sure that the balance doesn't stay negative. And indeed, after that $4,000 transfer, the bank says, okay, you have $2,000 in your account. So all he has to do is transfer money at night and then reverse it one day later. Now, if you stay ahead of that reversal, he says, by, by doing another one, you could trick the system into thinking you had big money. Hmm. So he, he does this game for quite a while. And one day he walks into the bank to get his official balance, as it were. And this is the first time he says he realized that people with money just get treated differently. Because <laughs> when he walks up to the teller, she's, you know, polite, but not especially kind or effusive or overly impressed with him. Mm -hmm. But then she calls up his account. He, you know, he slips his, his ATM card or his, his whatever credit card or, or bank ID across the, uh, across the, the counter and she punches it in and he says her whole demeanor toward him changes in an instant. <laughs> and he later wrote, she was suddenly in awe of me. I was this guy who had huge money. And he says, that's what it's like. People change their thinking about you and change their demeanor when they think you're really wealthy. And she smiles at him. And it looks kind of like she's, she's almost flirting with him. And she says, Mr. Saunders, your balance is almost exactly $1 million. Oh my God. Can you freaking believe this? Whoa. So he, he thinks, and he says, oh, okay, thank you very much. And he withdraws a, a boatload of cash, <laughs> goes back home, gives his wife a thousand dollars and says, here you go. Here's, here's a thousand bucks. <laughs> and he goes back to that same bar and buys a few rounds of drinks for his friends. I'll bet he did. I'll, and I, I can't, I can't say that I would do this because I think I would be scared to death of getting caught. Uh, but he says being able to make your account balance move up into the millions by the stroke of a key is a very addictive thing. He said, I felt like a caveman who had just discovered fire. <laughs> and again, he notices how the aura of money changes the way people interact with him. And he says, if a guy realizes you've got a lot of money, he's suddenly going to pitch an idea to make even more money. And with the opposite sex, with women... He found that they seemed to find him way more attractive uh -huh. than before. Sure. Right? When he was just a regular guy. So he says, if you have imagination and money, you're able to help people live their wildest dreams. And it's this super addictive, fun thing to do, especially when the money literally comes from thin air. Now, this it's interesting to me because I immediately thought, okay, if I was him... How would my friends and family react mm. to this? Mm. And he says, kind of predictably, some of his friends just came flat out and said, buddy, you should not be doing this. I don't <laughs> want any part of this. Keep me the hell out of this. Yeah, I think that would be my reaction. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I would say. If, if somebody confided, hey, look, look what I'm doing, I'd be like, I don't want to hear about it. 
and I really think you should you should stop this before this gets out of hand. But he says most of his friends didn't say that. In fact, most of them were like, okay, you're that kind of guy who likes to ride the wave. I get what you're doing. I'll come along for the ride with you. And then the last group, it, it was a group of thirds. The last group was the weirdest because he said they were actually egging him on saying you can do this you can do that keep pushing the envelope you know see see how far you can take this now he didn't tell his family because he's he knew they would have been you're going to get yourself into trouble what the hell are you doing we're going to turn you in for your own good but uh, other people that that didn't know him that just knew he was the guy with all this money they would occasionally say you know can i ask how you how you've got all this money. And he would just he would just tell lies. He would just make stuff up. He would say, oh, I'm an investment banker or mm. I'm in real estate. He said, he essentially, that he said heaps of different things because he was meeting a lot of people all the time and it was basically just one liner. By and large, people who thought he was rich really didn't care how he got the money. <laughs> they just knew he was rich and that they were probably going to, you know, uh, be a benefactor in some way, either buying him drinks or... Or whatever. But he was the first to say that he found it fascinating that in the four and a half months he did this, the bank never noticed. How is that even possible? I don't. I don't know. And this actually comes into play later in the story as, as a possible explanation for why uh, they, they didn't notice. He says he started to have dreams about it. And one night he was in this swanky hotel suite and he had a nightmare that there was a SWAT team out in front of the hotel. Mm. And he remembers waking up in a pool of sweat and then realizing that, in fact, it was not a dream he was having, but that someone was ringing the doorbell to the whole hotel suite that he was in. And, and he's thinking, that's it. I'm gone. They're coming to get me. And he said, actually, that would have been a relief. But he opens the door expecting police with guns drawn. And it's actually just a hotel um, housekeeping employee <laughs> saying, would you like some fresh towels? Yeah. And actually, I need a fresh pair of underpants, too. <laughs> That's right. I need some laundry. Now, he says, it's if you've pretty much done the right thing, for most of your life, and then you suddenly start doing the wrong thing, your body freaks out. And he's starting to have anxiety attacks. And when the phone rang, he always answered it, and he was hoping, a small part of him was hoping that the phone would be saying, turn yourself in, hmm. you know, right. we're, we're on to you. His life had changed dramatically. He would go on these spending sprees, dropping tens of thousands of dollars, and in fact, the bank would call him, but they would say, Mr. Saunders, did you just go to this store? Did you just go to this restaurant? Did you just drop, you know, 10000 And he would say, yeah, that was me. And they'd say, <laughs> okay, we just, we just wanted to make sure it was legit. Oh, my God. It was truly, truly bizarre. So he was living this lifestyle for more than four months, about four and a half months. And during that time, he's partying hard. He's traveling the world. In fact, one time he chartered a private jet to an <laughs> island resort and took friends. And they lived like, you know, Greek gods for a week. But he said he also did some good things with it. And he said, if, if you've got the imagine and imagination and money, uh, you're able to do incredible things. He paid off friends' student loans. 
He would buy uh, hotel rooms for homeless people to stay in for the night. Mm. He met a woman who confided in him that she'd always wanted to learn how to speak French. So he bought her a plane ticket and a hotel (laughs) in France and said, you know, that was always her dream. I sent her to Paris. I bought her everything she needed. I paid for the tutorial. I paid for a year of college, whatever she needed. It was like, I'm a genie. Just rub the lamp. And by rub the lamp, what do you mean exactly? In this case, he was just sending her to Paris. All righty then. To learn to learn French. But then something really interesting happened. He, Mr. Saunders, says he just stopped cold. Just one day, woke up, said, that's it. I'm done. I don't want to be an international criminal. Because he said, I would realize that I could have lost my family and everything and everybody I loved from something so stupid and so preventable. So he not only stops, he actually, uh, and I, I find this really incredible, he calls the bank to confess. Ooh, wow. Never, never called the police. He just stops doing the transfers. He calls the bank and says, here's what I've been doing. Now, this is in June of 2011. He says the bank tells him over the phone, well, look, this is a police matter. We can't even talk to you about this. You are in a, an F load of trouble. Mm. The police are going to call. And that's it. The police didn't call. What? He waits a month. The police what? never call him. Oh my God. He waits, waits a month, never hears a word. So in July 2011, he calls the bank again. <laughs> hey. And they say... Yeah, well, like we told you, this is a police matter. We can't talk to you. They're going to contact you. You're in a, and by the way, we said it last month, but we mean it. You're in a you're in a big big pot of trouble, mister. But that was it. Police never called. So, he doesn't hear from the police for 2 years. What? Nothing for 2 years and in the back of his mind, he really can't move on with his life because he says to himself, who takes money like that? And then the authorities don't do anything. So the logical question, JG and all of our listeners is, well, how do the police finally get involved? He is so racked with guilt at this point that he starts seeing a psychiatrist. And the first psychiatrist says, you know, I'm not qualified to really to, to do this. And he, he was like, mate, you're the shrink. Surely you're qualified. But he finally, he found a second guy who's a little bit more sensible. And understandably, this psychiatrist says, you got to turn yourself in. You just have to, because that's the only way you're going to get a clear conscience. And if your conscience is not clear, you cannot move on from this really for the rest of your life. Why didn't he just call the police? Uh, well, he... he he didn't say why he didn't call the police. He does figure out that okay, I got to get some I got to get some attention to get the police involved in this. So, he actually does an interview with the Herald Sun, a newspaper oh, in Australia. And then he does other interviews including a video, a, 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 remember the TV show A Current Affair, yeah. the Australian version of that. So it basically took, he said, three print stories and an appearance on national TV to be taken seriously. And at this point, somebody says, if you hadn't done all this 
media attention, these, this media blitz to, to get yourself noticed. What did you have an escape plan? And he says, I probably would have moved to Spain and I would have moved all the money, not into other banks, but into casinos because casinos don't really care if you deposit money with them. They're not going to ask where it came from. They don't talk about their clients. They just like having the money there in the casino. Um, and so, so before the police finally get involved, let me, let me tell you this, because I think this is a really interesting question. He was also asked, did you feel like you ripped anyone off while you were doing this? And he says, I didn't think the money actually existed until I bought something with it or I transferred it somewhere. Up until that point, it was literally just numbers on a screen. Mm. I knew that no one thought it was missing. So my thinking was it never existed in the first place. <laughs> the whole rationale was that I wasn't taking any anyone's money, which, you know, I, I guess I guess makes makes sense. But finally, the police notice, you know, because of all the media attention and he ends up arrested. He ends up in court and he thinks, okay, this is where things are going to are going to all be settled out. But instead, he said the court experience, the court case and, and the trial were surreal. Why? Because even then. Even after he has confessed, no one actually understood what he had done. The judge can't figure out how he pulled this off. The prosecutor can't figure out how he had pulled this off. Nobody could figure out, to your question, JG, how he had been so brazen for so long, pulled this this charade for four and a half months, and... Nobody could figure it out. And he says, what was truly amazing is that the bank who had to testify in this case provided virtually no evidence in this case. Now, the speculation there on some people's part is that the bank was actually embarrassed Mm. by it and didn't want to talk about how weak their security had been in this case. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. And what I found really interesting is, and he doesn't talk about this, but I, one of my logical questions was, all right, if he figured out I could pull this little scam between 1 and 3 a.m. seven mornings a week, how many other people did that? You know, did did somebody else realize all you have to do is do this between 1 and 3 a.m.? He, he pleads guilty and, believe it or not, gets only a year in prison <laughs> and then 18 months of what they call community corrections order, which I think is, is pretty much like probation. Um, but he ended up uh, doing just a year and then 18 months probation. He wrote a book about it. And believe it or not, this is being made into a feature film it's in pre-production right now. It's called Cash Out. <laughs> and I have no idea when it's going to come out, but it's a hell of a story. Did he have to pay any of the money back? He doesn't say, but I'm guessing that he, as part of his sentence, uh, that any cash that he had left over, he returned to the bank. Yeah, yeah. This was a uh, this was a uh, listener-suggested story, a listener named Samantha 
And the details came from Vice, Newsweek, and Unilad.com. That's amazing. Because I'm thinking, you know, if he had to spend a year in prison, but he got to keep the million bucks, that's a pretty good trade. That's a small price to pay for a million bucks out of the sky. I would think. Plus, it would be considered a white-collar crime, so you'd be in one of those country club prisons. Probably so. Probably so. You're not, you know, breaking rocks at San Quentin. Right. Do they still break rocks uh, at San Quentin? I don't know. Probably hmm. not. I don't know. Probably not. I was thinking actually maybe more like Shawshank, but they didn't actually break rocks. They just had to tar the roofs, right? Andy broke rocks, but it was intentional. Yeah. Yeah, he did. To make chess pieces. Anyway. <laughs> we should do a whole episode on Shawshank. I wish we could. Wish we could. You could probably do a whole podcast on nothing but Shawshank. There probably are several podcasts. There probably are. Yeah. You know, on on Shawshank. That is uh, absolutely one of my favorite movies of all time. You know what's interesting about that? I avoided that film for years because prison movies always wigged me out. Mm. And it was my wife years ago who said, "I can't believe you've never seen this. This movie is going to turn into one of the top five films of all time." And damned if she wasn't right. I hate when she's right. But uh, <laughs> it's now, I probably watch it once a month. It'll be on cable and wherever it is, I'm in for the, for the final, for, to, the, to the very bitter end because of that final scene mm. with, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't. Yeah, don't, away, don't. But, spoiler alert. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. That final scene with the two uh, heroes coming together is just... <sighs> It's just so incredibly delicious. <laughs> and is. there's also, uh, you know, there, there's a Robin Hood thing. There's there. a I comeuppance. Mean, yeah. Uh, it's one of those films that I think you alluded to this, wherever it is, if I, if I find it on cable, wherever it is in the movie, I'm in. I'll just, I can just drop in no matter where it is. And the just, opening scene or even just the last five yep. minutes, I think, I think I'm in. Stay tuned for more movie reviews uh, on the shallow end. <laughs> when Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. 
It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Are you tired of the same old boring products and services? Well, get ready for something completely different. Introducing Bland-O-Matic, the revolutionary product that promises to make your life just a little bit less exciting. Look, you've had it with feeling joy, excitement, or enthusiasm, right? You long for the mundane and unremarkable? Bland-O-Matic is here to save the day. Bland-O-Matic takes all the fun out of life. This amazing device sucks the excitement right out of any situation, leaving you feeling completely underwhelmed. It's perfect for those who enjoy the sensation of nothing, just nothing much at all. Picture this, you're at a party surrounded by lively conversations and laughter. But with Blandomatic, you can transform that party into a snooze fest in seconds. Just press the button and watch as the energy drains from the room. It's like having a black hole of entertainment right at your fingertips. And that's not all. Blandomatic comes with a range of interchangeable settings to suit your level of boredom. Feeling mildly uninterested? Choose the lackluster mode. Want to feel absolutely nothing at all? Go for the monotony max option. You'll never have to worry about experiencing any form of enthusiasm ever again. Why settle for excitement and enjoyment when you can have blandness and indifference? Call now and experience the dullness you've always dreamed of. Operators are standing by, ready to take your order. Blandomatic is not responsible for any side effects, including loss of pets, family, or friends, increased levels of apathy, or an overwhelming desire to watch paint dry. Use at your own risk. Blandomatic, the antidote to fun and excitement. Order yours today and start living a life that's completely unremarkable. I just want to say, JG, that uh, to share with our with our listeners that um, what I what I shared with you before we started recording, these parody commercials have become a real pain in the ass, and I'm no longer going to do that. No, 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 that's not true. Uh, they have become. Uh, uh, some people have said it's their favorite part of the of the podcast, hmm. um, but we have had in our this is episode fifty three. We have had only one other. Um, person uh, not affiliated with the show record one of those commercials so far our friend Anna Author right. who did that uh, that uh, uh, Mexican food flavored toothpaste <laughs> that she just knocked out of the park we have a uh, a bona fide uh, TV star uh, celebrity who has agreed to voice one of our parody commercials if he thinks and I'll I'll I won't say his name, but but it is it is a he, a very recognizable voice, face name, who uh, has agreed in principle to to take part <laughs> in, in the shallow end faux commercial, yeah. depending on if the copy is is any good. Yeah, so I'm right. very very excited, and this is somebody that we all know and love, and yeah. um, it would be so great. So the pressure's on Lens because he said he'd do it if it's funny. So if it's funny, right. if it's funny enough, funny enough. Yeah. yeah. And I have to agree to uh, to let him actually rewrite it. And I have z- absolutely zero ego in this game. And if <laughs> I will, uh, I will march, uh, you know, down the street dressed as a member of the Von Trapp family again on a unicycle again. If I I would do whatever it took to to get this guy to uh, to voice this <laughs> commercial. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, your email address, dear listeners, lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. We've gotten, I can't tell you how many hundreds of emails in our year of doing this show, but one that we got yesterday from a listener named Betsy. 
I rarely have the lifeguard write back a listener and say, I can pretty much guarantee you that you just made the next episode of The Shallow End. (laughs) But in this case, the lifeguard did indeed write back Betsy almost immediately and say, you can pretty much be sure that uh, the boys are going to be putting this one on. So, uh, Betsy, skunk lady, here you go. She writes, Dear JG and Lens, Tally-ho, good sirs, parentheses, and the lovely cat. I have had a full frolic in the shallow end that I simply had to share with you. I hope this brings you a fraction of the laughs you've brought me over the years from both Shallow End and Box of Oddities. Last Friday, I was minding my business driving my super badass minivan home from dropping the kids (laughs) off at daycare. Windows rolled down, blaring NPR on the radio, parentheses, like all the cool suburban soccer moms do, close parentheses, when I accidentally rolled over the bloated, rotten carcass of a skunk. Now, when I tell you this thing exploded, I'm not exaggerating in the slightest. (laughs) This little fucker delivered its last blow with the force of a thousand angry cadavers. It enveloped my entire mom mobile in a stench comparable to what I imagine the bottom of a landfill smells like and basically punched me in the face. I thought I could make it home, but within seconds I was overcome with nausea. I started gagging, heaving, coughing. Next thing I know, my throat was filling with vomit. I pulled my mom car over to the side of the road and hurled chunks like never before in my life. (laughs) Now, mind you, I live in a heavily populated Austin, Texas suburb, and I was on the main road through the area during morning rush hour. So there were other soccer moms and tech bro dads driving by constantly, gawking at my dumbass puking out of a minivan at 8 a.m. as I, quote, relived breakfast multiple times. (laughs) That's some good writing right there. Betsy's, Betsy's a hell of a writer. I rallied and drove home in the stank mobile that was now covered in skunk funk, only to be greeted by a dog who took one whiff of... One whiff of me and shat on the floor instantly and almost instinctively, like she was claiming the house as her stank tank, not mine. I dealt with the dog shit, then took a shower. Wrong move. Apparently, skunk stench is from oils. Yeah. Water does nothing but spread the oils around. So at this point, I've merely spread the stench around my bathroom. I had to throw away all my clothes and bathroom towels because there's just no salvaging clothing after something like this. I post on my neighborhood neighborhood Facebook page to A, ask for potential remedies for the smell, and B, apologize for the worse than normal smell I'd created in the most heavily traveled intersection in the entire neighborhood, (laughs) and C, laugh at my own misfortune, because why not? Uh, So then she actually pastes in the Facebook post and says, anybody just see that lady puking out of her minivan on the side uh, of the road this morning after accidentally running over a dead skunk while her windows were down? I am that lady. How the F do I get rid of the smell, all caps? I'm a beast and I've banished myself to the patio until I can de-stank. Help, please, LOLOL. <laughs> so people actually start, start replying to her and coming up with answers. Someone actually finally says, how's Skunk Lady doing? Still stinks, I guess. We could do with a progress report to keep this weekend moving along. <laughs> 
<laughs> so Betsy writes, I am skunk lady. I don't know whether to be happier about the fact that I no longer smell like a prolapsed anus or the fact that I'm now known as skunk lady. Both are making my day. So she says, uh, now she is skunk lady in the neighborhood and she's oddly okay. Fast forward 24 hours. She finds the remedy for her body, which is apparently a mixture of hydrogen peroxide, baking soda, and dish soap. And yes, it worked perfectly in turning me from a house beast back into a human. But the dilemma is not over because my car is still a fart factory lit on fire. <laughs> I pay a pretty penny to have a mobile auto detailer come and de-stink my sweet mom ride after he's done. By the way, he did a fantastic job. I go to try to start the car and what to my wondering eyes did appear? Check gauge light. My effing car had run out of gas while being detailed because it's a thousand degrees outside in Austin. And the poor SOB detailing my car simply wanted to avoid spontaneous combustion. So he was running the AC and engine for three hours while he cleaned the inside and outside of my car from top to bottom. So now I have a socially acceptable car, but it won't run. My husband has to go to the gas station, fill a gas can, bring it back home, fill the fartmobile manually just to get it to start so we can finally move our family shit show into the garage and behind closed doors where it and we belong. Uh Moral of the story, watch out for skunks on the road. They're worse when they're already dead. Check your gas level prior to detailing. Don't bring water to an oil fight and don't post shit on social media if you're not ready for that story to become your entire identity. (laughs) I absolutely love y'all's shows. Can't get enough of both Box and Shallow End. They are my happy place. Y'all light up my day constantly. May you never have to deal with a skunk encounter. Have a great weekend. Betsy, a.k.a. Skunk Lady. Skunk Lady. Betsy, that is that gets the prize. It does. For, uh, yeah. for the best written and, and most um, self-deprecating. <laughs> I, I made sure the lifeguard wrote her back to say, not only is that funnier than sin, but your willingness to, um, to poke fun at yourself uh, is truly impressive and makes the story even sweeter. And I am very sympathetic, Betsy, because having lived a good portion of my life in Maine, skunks are a way of life, especially where we lived out in the country. Uh, we had a guest staying with us who had a dog, and they let the dog out to do his business at 2 in the morning. The dog got it right in the face. A skunk right in the face. And the poor dog was like foaming at the mouth and vomiting. And so instinctively, our house guest brought the dog inside. No. (laughs) No. And before they could even tell us what had happened, we were awoken (laughs) from a dead sleep. Cat and I shot bolt upright in bed. Seriously, just from the smell. Yes. We immediately knew what had happened. We immediately dressed ourselves, got in our vehicle, and we were gone within a minute and a half. We went in and slept at the radio station where we worked. (laughs) And as soon as people started arriving that morning, they're like, why does this place smell like skunk? We got it so bad that um, she mentioned the oils. It it actually, you can taste it. Oh, my you God. You can taste it in your mouth. Oh, dear Lord. Lord in heaven. It's, it's like a petroleum kind of smell when it's that Ooh. strong and that close. And so we bought an, an, a commercial industrial-sized ionizer. And just blasted the house with it. And it actually worked. It took... How long did that take? A good part of the day. 
wow. a good part of the day. But it actually works. So if you're ever in that situation where you're up close and personal with uh, Pepe Le Pew. Mr. Skunk. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, consider investing in that. It's I think it was 40 bucks, and we got it on Amazon. And um, boy, it, it just cleaned it out in no time. You and Cat not even having encountered the dog. Right. Just from being in the house for that for those few minutes yes you actually smelled enough like skunk that people coming into the radio station the next morning could smell skunk as soon as they opened the door and and we were like in a back studio somewhere yeah it was crazy that's ridiculous we did not only didn't encounter the dog the dog and our house guest were they were in uh the lower level of the house and we just, it was like a split level ranch kind of thing. And so they mm-hmm. were downstairs and we were upstairs and we left out the front door. So we didn't even come within <laughs> 30 feet of this thing. Dear God. It was nasty. Oh my. I can only imagine. Was the house guest ever invited back? No, no. We cut no. all ties. We severed <laughs> our relationship immediately. Ah, but you forgave the dog, of course, of course because, yeah, you know, not dogs. That's the dog's fault. This is your friendly lifeguard with a public service announcement. Stay out of the fucking deep end. You're in the shallow end with Schnebly and Toth. All right, I got a story for you. Are you ready? Hit me with your story. It was 2021 in a quiet Midwestern suburban part of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Loves me some Tulsa. It's known more for its sweeping plains and friendly neighborhood barbecues than a hotbed of criminal activity. What? A peculiar story unfolded one February night in 2021. The tale involves a thief, a tenacious homeowner, two bewildered daughters, and a half-eaten bag of delicious snack food. Oh, you had me with the half-bag of food. Go on. At the heart of the story, it's a hard-working single mom of two high-spirited girls. She's juggling her job. She's got uh, life's relentless demands on her as well. And one fateful evening... The relative tranquility of their ordinary existence was intruded upon by an unanticipated guest. Hmm. As the last rays of sunlight gently withdrew from the horizon, an unfamiliar sound echoed through their tranquil household. It was the sound of the screen on the window being popped off. Um, and not good. somebody prying it off and climbing into the house. That's not good. Yeah, an uneasy dread fell over mom. She was concerned for her kids, of course. Before she could even ponder what the odd noise was, the window slid open and she could hear somebody crawling into the kitchen through the window Mm. downstairs. Mm. First off, that's just really rude. Yeah. So she gathered up the kids, her two girls, and uh, moved swiftly to a pre-designated hiding spot. She dialed 911 with trembling fingers. And as her heart pounded in her chest, she could hear this person downstairs. It was a woman later identified as Sharon Carr. She was already making herself comfortably at home. She actually entered the house and behaved more like uh, uh, an impromptu guest than than a home invasion person. So law enforcement was informed. By the time the flashing lights of police cruisers painted the streets in shades of red and blue, how's that for some writing? That's nice. The intruder had fled, disappearing into the darkness through the same window that they had entered. The police officers arrive at the house. They find the woman and the daughters in their home, uh, visibly shaken, of course. But they're okay. They're They're okay. Everybody was fine. 
but the kitchen was left in disarray. The, weird. the thief was gone, but they had left an odd calling card. It was a bottle of water, still beating with condensation, and a half-eaten bag of Cheetos, its contents <laughs> spilling out onto the kitchen floor like neon orange breadcrumbs. Wow. So the police, they combed the house for evidence. And mom is, of course, comforting her shaken daughters. Another set of officers scour the neighborhood. Again, this is in the middle of the night. I can picture like a symphony of crickets and rustling leaves. So finally they discover something, or rather someone, out of place. Hmm. In a thicket of bushes, a woman was crouched, seemingly out of breath. Her surprise at being discovered in this peculiar setting was only matched by the officer's surprise at finding her there. The officers ordered the woman to come out of the bushes with her hands up, and at first she was reluctant to do so, but after a few seconds, she was persuaded and slowly got to her feet and emerged from the shrubbery, hands raised above her head. The officers asked her where she had been and what she was doing in the bushes, but before they could answer, their gazes were drawn to her hands, her fingers coated with a suspiciously familiar bright orange dust. <laughs> On closer inspection, the fluorescent streetlights added an uncanny sheen to her teeth, revealing chunks of delicious orange manna. Yeah. This was yeah. clearly no ordinary dust. It was Cheetos dust. It's hard for anybody to say no to the snacky goodness of Cheetos. And it does. It turns my fingers orange, but I don't care. I don't care either. Bring it on. So all of the pieces fall into place. The window, the abandoned snacks, and now a woman with telltale Cheeto fingerprints. The snack-loving intruder had been found, not lurking in the shadows, but hiding in plain sight, her identity revealed by chunks of the very loot she left behind stuck in her teeth. Now, this might surprise you, Linz, but in Tulsa, Cheeto theft is a rarity. So the story of the Cheeto bandit quickly became the talk of the community. The combination of the audacity of the crime and the unexpected identity of the thief and the unusual trail of evidence left uh, pretty much everybody in the area amused. I can well imagine. To the thief's misfortune, it was not her stealth or cunning that marked her out, but her peculiar choice of snack, a detail she had overlooked in haste, I guess. As she was escorted away, the glow of the flashing police lights dancing across her incriminatingly dust-coated fingers, one of the arresting Tulsa police officers told KTUL, Quote, this is a good reminder that Cheeto dust can be pretty hard to get rid of. <laughs> One can't help but appreciate the sheer absurdity of the situation. A crime, usually a cause for concern and fear, instead turned into a local spectacle, all thanks to those cheesy cornmeal puffs. Wow. The mom ID'd the invader, and that combined with the incriminating orange snack food residue still stuck to her teeth and fingers. Pretty much made it an opening shut case. I can imagine. Now, it was a frightening ordeal for the mom and the daughters. Of course. Hearing that noise of the screen being pried off and the window opening, I mean, you have no idea. But it was a big relief to them when the thief was caught orange-handed. <laughs> the saga of the Cheeto thief spread through Tulsa like wildfire. Uh, it, be it became um, the talk of the community. And I... Just because of the sheer peculiarity of the evidence, I pictured like the police holding up a bag of half-eaten Cheetos as an exhibit telling the media uh, they Cheeto dusted for prints, you know? I mean, <laughs> in the aftermath, 
Mom held her daughters a little bit closer. The intrusive event uh, has been a harsh interruption to their peaceful life, but it also proved that they you know, were pretty resilient. They were actually able to think quickly and call law enforcement, and they had a pre-designated place to hide. Despite the fear and the chaos and the uncertainty, this was freaking hilarious. So in time, the window was repaired, the Cheetos were replaced, and life regained its regular rhythm. The residents of Tulsa found themselves chuckling over the incident, shaking their heads at the uh, thief and how she was captured. So our tale comes to a close, leaving with us a peculiar but important reminder, even in the act of committing a crime, one might want to be wary of the snacks they choose to consume. The moral of the story, I think, really, Linz, is uh, that, that in the world of small-time thievery, never underestimate the power of your snack foods. Exactly, exactly. I was wondering if the incident changed the way the homeowner, the mom, looked at Cheetos. Would she be in a grocery store and see a bag of Cheetos and get uh, like a, you know. Some sort of uh, Pavlovian response to. Yeah. Yeah. I wondered that myself, but then I thought better of it. Yeah. Cheetos still would taste so damn good. I'd be like, yeah, I I don't care. Have you tried the jalapeno Cheetos? I have not. Yeah. I'd go to jail for a year for those. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My source information was the New York Post and KTUL in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Cheetos Bandit. Love that. And we love you guys for hanging out with us. Please continue to send us your emails. We love them. We've got a back catalog of great stories, but we can never have too many. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Story ideas, parody commercial ideas, your comments. And while you're at it, Maybe uh, mention this to your uh, mention this podcast to your friends and family. Help continue to grow the show. Yep, we do appreciate it. And until we see you next time, remember it's important you make good choices because your life and your orange fingers might depend on it. So concludes another episode of the Shallow End with Schnebly and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast. Give these boys a five star rating and think of something nice to say even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Okay, gotta go.